Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Raidercast, the podcast where we delve into the myths and mysteries of Lara Croft's world, but also her fans. And today we're going to be talking to a special guest from the community. We are going to be talking about the villains. And in a little bit of a philosophical way, are they really evil? So we have picked three villains each, but before that, special guest, please introduce yourself and tell us how you came across Tomb Raider and Lara Croft. Tell us your Raider journey. Hello. So my name is Billy Little, which I always think is ironic considering I'm six foot tall, but hey ho, <laughs> that's the name that I was given. So in terms of my journey with Tomb Raider, it was the first game that I ever played. So Tomb Raider 2 was the first game I ever played back when I was like four or five years old. And I used to play it all the time. I used to pretend to be Lara Croft in the playground. I used to sew bits of fabric in my hair to make it look like I had a plait. Lara Croft was everything for me. And hence why I have the real thing these days. Then, as I got a bit older, kind of faded away from it all. It was still one of my favourite games, but I kind of left it at that. And then a few years ago, I was involved in quite a serious car accident where I literally had thought I'd died. And as a result, I was left with quite bad PTSD. I couldn't sleep at night and I'd relive the memories and my dreams. And it was really quite bad, actually. Um, It caused me to be quite sad and down. And I just so happened to remember one day that I used to have a Tomb Raider comic and it was completely unrelated. I just thought, I'll have a read of that. And I did. And one night I decided to sit down and read this book, this Tomb Raider comic. And the story was that Lara was in a plane with her friends and it crashed in the mountains and all of her friends died. And she was, you know, in so much pain. But regardless, she powered through. She was still herself. She didn't let anything, you know, get in her way. She survived. She was a survivor. And I just felt an instant sense of power. And I started buying more of these comics, started reading them. And let's say three years later, I've never had those PTSD symptoms since. And I'm pretty sure that it's a little bit to do with Lara Croft. So since then, yeah, since then I've been an absolute geek with Lara Croft. Hence why my account is Geek Raider. Um, She saved me, essentially, Chris. She saved me. That is phenomenal what an introduction goodness me and also wonderful as well because we've never had anyone on here who's sort of really sort of focused on the comics and the the impact that the comics have had on them as well so wow in all regards wow that's amazing big big fan of the comics i think i'm at about 187 of them now with all the variants that that, that's my thing but um that's so cool well it, it helped me get through a very difficult time so lara croft I owe you a coffee. Shall we dive into the topic at hand? Yes. As the guest, please go first, tell us who your villain is, and let's discuss them. Okay, well, I thought, you know, we'd keep it on trend and we'd start with the game that I grew up on with Tomb Raider 2, and I thought it'd be interesting to kind of explore Marco... Broccoli, as Steve O'War so cleverly um, says. So I thought, you know, the, re- the whole idea behind this was that I don't know if it's just because I'm evil, but I kind of resonate sometimes with the villains. And I think, actually, 
are they really that evil? And I thought Bartoli was quite an interesting one because at a glance, you might say, oh, you know, Italian mafiosa, bloodshot eyes, sleek black suit, you know, he's evil. You know, his raspy voice is definitely <laughs> evil, right? However, there's an interesting quote that he says, I think it's when he's on the plane, and I've written it down because I won't remember it, but he says, when my father left when I was a boy, he confided to me that he was enlightened, beckoned by something greater than impulse. Clearly, poor Marco has been indoctrinated by his father from a very young age. Mm, yeah. You know, and I suddenly started thinking, well, to be fair, if my dad confided in me when I was a young boy saying, son, I've got this fantastic, you know, seraph and it's, you know, does all these amazing things, turns people into dragons. I'd be curious. I'd <laughs> want to know about that. You know, Marco's just a curious man. He's just he a curious man. So I started thinking, well, okay, well, is he really driven by evil or is he driven by curiosity from what his father said? And obviously his father, Gianni, tragically died when the monk's um, brother Chan Barkang blew up the ship. Of course, you're going to want to find your father and see if, you know, what he was saying was true or not. I also wanted to point out that he doesn't actually kill Lara when she gets backhanded with a wench on the plane. Mm. She just gets put into prison. So he could have just, you know, bang, you're could gone. Have, yeah. He didn't. Interesting. Is he really a villain, Chris? I don't know. Um, however, he did obviously kill a monk. He did kill a monk. Down. He did kill a monk, which is pretty evil. So I'm not saying he's perfect. We've all got flaws here. But, you know, is he pure evil? Or is he in the middle? And I think perhaps seeing it as a spectrum rather than good or bad, where do they sit in the middle? And I'm kind of tempted. Bartoli's maybe... Mm, Just over the line. Seven out of ten of evil, maybe? Seven out of ten evil. Seven dragons out of ten. Maybe he just wants to be a dragon. He just really likes dragons and just really wanted to be one. Exactly. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Although I did find it funny, he was literally only a dragon for a couple of minutes. I know, what a letdown. (laughs) His entire life, his entire dad's life, maybe his entire generations just searching for this dagger. And he was like, yes, I've got, oh, I'm dead. All that grease to slick back his hair. And what was it for? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Other than a short stint on a TV, uh, on a game. Poor Marco. Okay. All right. I will go next. The one that I'm going to talk about, maybe it's slightly... I think it's probably a bit less ambiguous to say Eckhart from The Angel of Darkness is, I think, one of, if not my favourite villain of the entire series. He is just off the charts bonkers. So this guy has been alive for over 500 years using alchemy. He's a practitioner of the dark arts from, as I was saying, the 15th century, very diabolical type, very sort of anti-Christian back then. And all of these, you know, you had the uh, the Lux Veritatis warriors, warriors of light, basically hunting him down because he was using the dark arts. And in a very sort of Faustian way, he had made a pact with the Nephilim, this ancient species which had promised him long life, if he helps them get back on their feet and sort of flourish again. 
and I've I scoured some of the notes, and I don't think they told him how to go about doing this. I don't think they were like, go and kill these people, it will help us. I think they literally just said to him, we'll give you long life if you help us survive. And so he was like, aha, I'm gonna go and kill a load of people and extract their like essential elements in order to rebreed the, the Nephilim race and awaken the sleeper. So I think that bit has kind of come from him that was kind of his own plan. He's basically just gone full serial killer, even sort of hunting down this this anti-magic organization, this this Lux Veritatis, like through the ages, he's hunted them down because they were at war. And maybe that's another aspect. Maybe it's like, oh, you can't really sort of judge the, the morality of war or anything, but he was kind of a one-man army. And he was hunting them down and killing them all really brutally. Uh, but finally, as well, he didn't just intend to help the Nephilim back on their feet. He did intend to double-cross them and take over for himself. So I think he's got... I think he ticks all of the mad villain stereotypes. And I just, I love the character. I think he's absolutely wild. And I think it was Joss Ackland who voiced him. And oh my goodness me, I... I don't think we can claim he is anything but absolutely evil, unless you think maybe he could be he can be uh, brought down a peg or two on the evil scale. I'm not sure. I mean, you don't get called the monstrum for being a good boy now, do you? And <laughs> um, I do, however, wonder if maybe you know, 500 years before he was put into the pit of pain, maybe he was maybe a six out of ten on the evil spectrum but perhaps mm. uh, you know after 500 years of hanging above a bottomless pit sort of isolation yeah i think you uh, i think any ounce of humanity is perhaps long gone but here's another thing as well i will end on as you were just saying was he that evil before he was strung up over the pit and if he wasn't does that basically imply that the lux veritatis had a hand in creating their own biggest villain creating their own demise Ooh, I like that that has put a spin on things <laughs> okay let's drive straight forward who is your next naughty person my next naughty person is a little bit more recent in terms of the naughtiness I want to take us forward to 2013 with Matthias because Ooh. I'm sorry I'm sorry, but I cannot help but feel sympathy and sorry for this man. I just cannot. I don't Ow. see him as a villain. Maybe, again, I'm just a freak. You know, I'm sure <laughs> that the, the comments will establish this. So, you know, a bit of context. You know, put yourself in the poor man's shoes. You've been on a plane or a boat and all of a sudden you're stranded on this, you know, mysterious Japanese island in the middle of nowhere. You cannot escape. You've got loved ones at home. You're so desperate to see them. And then you suddenly get told by this mysterious, you know, Japanese god, you know, find me a soul and you will be released. You know, you're going to do it, aren't you? Whatever it takes. You've been trapped on an island since what? 1982 I think he landed in Yamatai you're going to get a bit desperate surely you know <laughs> I'm sure at the time he didn't want to go and kill people in fact I'd read up on it that actually he'd made a few attempts to escape peacefully Oh, but wasn't allowed oh so he's kind of at the end of his tether yes hmm 
So, okay. you know, yes, he's evil. The things he does are evil. I'm not justifying that, but I think it's perhaps more out of desperation as opposed to pure evilness. So are we thinking his end game wasn't necessarily to hurt and kill people. It was just basically to escape. That's the take that I've I've okay. put on it. Maybe I'm just a, maybe I'm just delusional, Chris. I don't but know. That's... I've never really I I like your idea. I like it. I think when I was playing it, I think the vibe I got from him was ha ha ha. I'm going to help Himiko, but I never really sort of pieced together the yeah. And then what? Are you going to stay yeah. there as her like high priest, or are you going to just go back to I don't know L.A. or wherever you're from? I think he'd go back to a beach, sip some cocktails, you know, sex on the beach, whatever. Yeah, hair transplant maybe, <laughs> who knows? But I have got an interesting quote from him, which I this kind of kick-started this whole idea of our villains really villains. He says, at the end, do you think you're the hero, Lara? Everything I've done, I've done to survive. How many lives have you taken to do the same? He's literally said it himself, he's doing it to survive. I, I, yes, okay. Now this is getting very interesting. I just got a little bit of shivers because, now I don't know who your final selection for a villain is. Haven't decided yet. <laughs> you haven't decided? Okay, well, <laughs> what you just said then, his quote, does that not really strongly echo Natla at the end of anniversary? Search inside yourself, Laura, your heart is as black as mine. And she also says something along the lines of how many lives have you taken or something in pursuit of your goals. That's a very, very similar thing. Albeit, Natla's goals are slightly different. Mm, that, that's, mm. Um, well, that's, uh, that's established who I'm going to talk about last then. All right, okay. <laughs> Interesting, though. It, that, Isn't you know, it? Makes you start to think. <sighs> so, next one. I am going to talk about Tomb Raider Legend series Amanda Evert. Yes. Amanda, the the lovely blonde who turned a little bit dark side, shall we say. And I'm not going to lie, the first time I played through the, the Lao trilogy, as it's called, I didn't really think much of her. And people were like, she's such a good villain, she's such a good villain. And I've always taken the, the side view of, well, is she though? And not to say that she's not a great character, but to say I don't think she's a villain. So, uh, yes, I think she's an antagonist. I think she is set against Lara, but I don't think she is necessarily twisted evil. Because her goals, as far as we know, are to get to Avalon for reasons. It's, it's like the sort of the old meme of, is it the underpants gnomes from South Park? And it's like, step one, get to Avalon. Step two, something. Step three, profit. It's like, how? What is she going to do there? Why does she want this? So I did a little bit of digging because her aspirations are never really explored very well. We know a little bit about her past. We know the trauma she faced in um, Paraiso. Was it in Peru? Yes, yes. Trapped and under the rubble. So she was trapped under the rubble. Maybe in a similar way to um, Eckhart, in a sort of trapped in a sort of dark, dingy environment with no means of escape. All alone, except she wasn't alone because she had the wraith. 
She had the Wraith Stone, mm. which was arguably demonic, looked kind of demonic, uh, yes. and maybe that was whispering all sorts of dark things into her ear, and she sort of went a little bit off the edge with that. Who knows? But I did some more digging, and at some point, a little um, biography was written for Amanda. I don't know exactly where this originated from, but I've seen it in a few different places, so I assume that back in the day, Eidos or Crystal Dynamics wrote this and posted it online. And I'll read a little bit from it. On the outside, Amanda Everett was a graduate student of social anthropology. On the inside, she was an intense chronicler of the metaphysical. She believed wholeheartedly that the common notion of reality is nothing but a thin, drab layer pulled over the infinite truth of the soul. She studied every religious and mystical system in the world, past and present, and while still at university was already something of an expert on theology and mysticism. Amanda had a pet theory that fragments of a single, long-forgotten mystical belief system existed within the rites and rituals of shamanism, witchcraft, and many religions. Her dream was to rediscover this supreme knowledge from the past and teach it to people so that they could gain spiritual enlightenment. None of that sounds evil to me. It doesn't, does it? Not at all. Like, she seems very sort of, I'm going to help people... Gain yeah. enlightenment and be better people by this yeah. sort of ancient truth. So I assume this is why she wanted to go to Avalon. Mm. Mm. Which is, it's not an evil goal. But along the way, she is pit against Lara. Now, the only thing that I'm thinking that she kind of steps over the line is when she uses the doppelganger to retrieve the Wraith Stone from Croft Manor, blows it up. And kills Alistair. So the doppelganger kills Alistair. Which never really sat right with me. Because in that cutscene in Underworld, Lara shouts at Amanda, You, you killed Alistair! And she's like, I got what I wanted. Like, okay, so. Yeah. She's selfish in that regard. A little greedy and single-minded. And maybe it's sort of along the lines of the ends justify the means. But I don't know if she goes... I don't think she goes full dark side, sort of stereotypical, over-the-top villain evil. So I would, yeah. I think, place her around four out of ten on the villain scale, personally. I think I agree with you as well, because, I mean, well, for a start, Lara didn't seem to care that much when Alistair died. She'd, I need the hammer. It's not about Alistair. I need the hammer. That was a bit... Come on, Lara. You know, human. <laughs> supposed to be one of your best friends. But also, you know, I agree with you that it's probably a four out of ten because also she probably felt betrayed. You know, when she was under all the rubble and, you know, in Kazakhstan she says, when I got out, there was no sign of you trying to get me. Yeah. Yes, obviously Lara held the gate open and tried to hold her breath and stuff, but... And yes, it was supposed to be a memorial. But if you've, you know, nearly died and then find out that none of your friends tried to find you, you're going to feel a bit betrayed, aren't you? I think and so. Perhaps think you're so. going to, you know. And then this entity or this wraith saves your life. You're going to feel a bit of a commitment to it, aren't you? Like, hang on, my friends have left me, but I've got this fantastic beast here that lets me do whatever I want. Mm -hmm. There's that amazing quote, was it? I, uh... I touched it, and it touched me. <laughs> like, yes. Oh. Yes. Okay. Not to be misconstrued. Well. 
<laughs> but, but also as well, um, if we're talking about psychopathic behaviour, she, mm. she she does show love with Rutland, you know? She yes. does have connections still, she still feels. So, mm. uh, yes, she obviously at the end of Underworld tries to pull a gun on Lara and gets her ankle battered, but I don't know, four out of ten probably, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, with that with that end bit where she comes at Lara, maybe you can bump her up to a five. Yeah. But <sighs> considering, I think that was deleted. I think that was only left on like the PlayStation Two version or something. But that's the version I played, so that's probably why. Oof. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other topic. We can get onto that another time. My God. Yeah. So, is Natalie your third? I think it has to be logically, doesn't it? I did mm. have Willard for Tomb Raider 3, Ooh. but I think, based on what we've just talked about, Natla's probably the logical person to go to. So, um, definitely more evil than Matthias, despite the fact that they probably have, you know, maybe similar end goals. <laughs> I think with, um, with Natla, it's perhaps more a case of power, greed and corruption has perhaps changed her over time because I think perhaps maybe she wasn't evil at the start mm. how else would she have been appointed with Tehokan and Qualapec you know, to be the three supreme you know, leaders of Atlantis I think somehow that got lost along the way though and perhaps the power got to her head or perhaps you know, she was thinking I can have my own, you know, species and take over yeah. the world. Or is it out of protection? Is she just trying to protect her people and do what's best? We have that with Dr. Dominguez. He's just doing the best for his mm. people, but the way that he goes about it perhaps isn't so great. So is she entirely evil? You know, is she just trying to make a better place for her fellow Atlantean creatures? You know, I'm just thinking of now is her a, a lovely benevolent <laughs> Natla who is adored by her people who yes. one day this little something is whispered in her ear something along the lines of why have one ski on peace when you can have three and she's well, like ooh <laughs> yes you know and her creatures clearly see something in her that we don't you know yeah. it's not like She's torturing all of them, not that they'd care, because I think they're probably demons anyway. But um, I just thought it was an interesting discussion point, really, as to whether she is, you know, 10 out of 10 evil, or perhaps she's slightly better, still evil, slightly better. Yeah. For a start, as well, and I'm absolutely going off on a tangent, so feel free to put, you know, right. cut me off here. But she doesn't actually try and kill Lara. She actually offers her. She's like, you know come to me you know and I think that's because she realizes that there has to be three people to rule Atlantis so mm. her Natla and maybe Amanda <gasps> maybe you know, you maybe. know so she didn't just you know hi Lara bang bye bye Lara you know she did push her off a cliff into a pit of lava nearly yeah that's true yeah, and also she has a skin in Anniversary called Demon Natla or something like that. So the fact that she can become a demon, yeah. well, that's pretty evil, isn't it? So, you know, I think for me it's 9 out of 10. I don't know about nine you, Nine out of 10. So I, I think, like you were saying, I like the idea that she didn't start out that way because... See, now what I'm doing is um, mixing up the mythos of Tomb Raider 1 and Tomb Raider Anniversary. Because in Tomb Raider 1, she was very much along the lines of humanity needs to evolve to survive. We need to be better than we are. 
evolution needs a kick in the pants. And that was kind of her goal. Yes, I'm sure it was also to rule over this new, a higher species or whatever, but it was a matter of evolution and to better people, arguably. I'm not saying that she was necessarily right, <laughs> but I think that that was sort of, that was what she was going for. But then she had that sort of thing going for her a little bit in anniversary, but then by the time Underworld came about, she'd been, you know, she'd fallen into lava, she'd been shot at, she'd had her wings torn to pieces, she'd had a pillar, she'd had a pyramid exploded on top of her, so she's probably like, Lara Croft, I will destroy you. And then she had this whole thing about the Seventh Age, which was never really explained, but I was thinking about this recently. What if the Seventh Age and the wheels of Cathar are turning was just this really meta thing that we didn't understand at the time, and it was basically in reference that the Seventh Age is the next reboot of Tomb Raider, and the wheels are turning is just like the developers are already planning this, everything <sighs> is going to burn and be risen from the ashes, you know? Uh... Um, because by the end of Underworld, she's very much like, everything must perish and burn. She's using this machine, this huge snake statue to crack open the world and destroy everything. And it's like, this is just supreme villain behavior. So yeah, I think by the last time we see her, I think eight or nine on the scale for sure. I think she's like up there, like indisputably evil, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, she's definitely not a good, you know, a good egg. She's definitely she's, going she's down the bad She's not a nice bin. person. But is she more evil than Eckhart? Or, or are they she could cool? be. I think she definitely. I mean, she definitely tried to kill more people for sure. So, yeah. uh, in that regards, yeah. In terms of, she was trying to kill everyone, and he was. I don't know. He probably killed less than a hundred people, maybe. I don't know how many people he killed in the past. Probably, I wouldn't be surprised if it's been going on since you know. Yeah, over the years. Yeah. Yeah, you you don't really get the 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 monstrum nickname for just killing two or three people. I guess he's like a butcher. Of course but... not. Maybe the real maybe the real villain actually is Bernard. Go away, I'm busy. Because that has stuck with me since I've been a child and I can never get it out of my head. <laughs> Whenever somebody comes up to me, that's just instantly what I want to say and it tortures me inside, Chris. I think he's the real villain. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to see that part of the game any other way again. He's just like plotting evil things. <laughs> right, so for my final villain, uh, I am going to also dive into Tomb Raider 2013 and I'm going to talk a little bit about Himiko. Mm. who I think I underrated her as a as a character because Himiko is effectively the artifact of Tomb Raider 2013 because what do we know about her? So she was known to be this sort of ruthless overbearing ruler of Yamatai this island off the coast of Japan and she was apparently able to communicate with the spirit world and control the elements. So the controlling the elements thing definitely ties into the storms over Yamatai. And she was worshipped by some subjects on the island. And I think the term worshipped and subjects kind of tells you a little bit about her character, maybe. Not that she was revered uh, in a 
in a sort of revealed by her followers, she was she had subjects. So it's something that you it's people who are beneath you, you know. And it said that Himiko was the only ruler to ever rule over Yamatai because of you know her little magic secret trick. She was effectively in that regard a bit of a dictator. And I don't think dictators are ever really that nice. I don't think it can ever really be said. Well, the the thing that she told her followers that she had these priestesses and she would basically, you know, give them the power to rule and then they would be the next sun queen. But effectively, in this sort of ritual, she was transferring her own immortal soul into person, into person, into person, destroying their soul and inhabiting their bodies until they wore out, and then she would do it again and again and again. So she wanted to live forever, which is not an evil goal per se, but she was basically killing people to achieve that goal. Their form, their physical form would live on, but she was killing them in a different way. Yeah. Which is not something that Tomb Raider had ever delved into before, and I think it was very interesting, because... The old series, it had, it had its, um, it had its supernatural thing, but I think they never really went for that other than with maybe the sort of things that Eckhart could do. I think there was like this unwritten rule that there is no magic in Tomb Raider, there's only Atlantean technology and, like, science that we don't understand. Yeah. And maybe they were trying to go for that with Tomb Raider 13's Survivor Trilogy, but I think that the fact that they immediately went for the concept of the immortal soul kind of overwrites that, because if Lara has proven that that exists, that's not technology, that's spirituality, that is magic, effectively. Mm. Um, so... When the spirit of Himiko was eventually trapped in the, the previous sort of half-dead Sun Queen, all of these storms happened, she became consumed with rage and trapping people, and I think then, kind of along the same way that Matthias started out as a, as a regular person who was then trapped and would do anything to escape by any means necessary, I think Himiko probably also went along that same journey, that she became trapped in this previous broken physical vessel, but would do anything to escape and force people to do like nasty evil stuff in order to help her. So, on one hand, her most evil action is raging storms, but on the other aspect, she has been killing innocent women for generations. But we don't really yeah. know her end game. Was it just to rule? To live forever? Mm. I mean, if you had the opportunity to live forever, I, you know, don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind uh, popping <laughs> up a few heads to get there along the way. <laughs> Maybe you no, were the I'm real just... villain all along. Oh my god, could you imagine? Actually, okay, right, if we're going to say who's the real villain here, I think the real villain here. And I ha I'm not even afraid to say it. I think the real villain's Lara Croft. Is she the real villain? Yes, okay, let's do this. It's a natural flow to this topic. I think so. She is not a nice person. I've never, I just, I know there are people who see her as having heroic qualities. And I think, yes, she does have heroic qualities, but she is very gung-ho and trigger happy. And she has done very, 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 very questionable things. 
Which is great. She makes her such a compelling, awesome character. I'm not saying she's lovely. I'm saying she's pretty horrible sometimes. But wow. Yes. Sometimes it's just fun to play the anti-hero though, isn't it? Right? Like, come on. We don't need fairies every time we're playing a video game. We want some ruthless woman who's going to do whatever it takes to get what she wants and no one's going to tell her otherwise. And mm. I'm here for it. Yeah. I'm here for it. But I would put her perhaps four out of ten on the villain scale. Four out of ten. Okay. Maybe. I mean... Yes, she tries to save lives, obviously. She mm. doesn't kill innocent people. She doesn't just go around, you know, with a metallic glove trying to get different elements out of bodies. But she is killing a lot of people. She's, she's killing endangered animals, for goodness she's sake. She's killing endangered animals. If you choose to do so, she is killing monks. She was killing workers on an oil rig. She was killing... Oh, no, actually, I think they were cultists, weren't they? She was killing... Um, Innocent security guards at the Louvre Museum. And in the headquarters, of Vonkoy's headquarters, oh just shooting God, the guards. I forgot about them. You know, she I tries to think... shoot the imps, but, you know, those imps never die, do they? No. I think I'm going to put her on a five on the evil scale. <gasps> because I think she is, I think she's very on the line of, I will do what it takes to do good things, but if I have to kill people, so be it. And I think there's a, there's a, I think there's a, there's a balance. There's a balance there, I think. Especially in the Legend series. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, in Tokyo, she must kill at least 50 people. Oh, God. Yeah. Alone. How... <laughs> it's like, were they just workers in um, Nishimura's building? <sighs> I, I mean, they're probably not good people themselves. Party but... guests, just... I always used to think one of those party guests was Curtis. That was always my uh, my, my vision. Anyway, that's a completely different story. <laughs> but, um... Oh my god. Yeah. You know. Wow. Maybe she ain't so good herself. Something to mm. reflect on, though. Her heart is as black as Natla's, allegedly. And I don't <laughs> think I would dispute that, quite honestly. Thank you so much for your time today, Billy. This has been Thank such you. a fun chat. This has been such a, such a fun chat. And... I hope you enjoyed yourself as well. Oh, of course I did. It's a pleasure to be on Radiocast, Chris. You know it is. Wonderful. Uh, where can people find you on social medias if they would like to chat more about villains? So the best place to find me is on Instagram, GeekRaider. That's G-E-E-K underscore Raider, because hello. But yes, <laughs> For the people so listening probably... to the podcast audio, Billy has Lara's hair down to a T. And you really need to go and watch the video version of this just so you can see it. <laughs> they have to. They, they have, have to. to. You have they to. have to. It's necessary. If you're yes. a true Tomb Raider fan, you have to watch <laughs> this. There, I've said it. I've That's said it wonderful. now. All right. Thank you very, very much again. And take no care. Worries. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Chris.